Glenna Kraus was murdered on January 6, 1979, and this is her daughter's story. Hello. Hi, Jane. It's Kelly calling from Morning the Murdered podcast. Hi, Kelly. How are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm all right. Morning the Murdered is a podcast I created because in 1999, a friend of mine was murdered. My name is Kelly and I am your host. I saw the effects that murder have on family members, and I wanted to give a voice to the loved ones of murdered victims. Every week, I interview the family member of a murder victim. So please be sure to tune in every Thursday to hear their stories on Morning the Murdered podcast. Glenna Kraus was born in the small town of Eubank, Kentucky which had a population of under 300. Her family were hog and tobacco farmers. Glenna was the youngest of four living children. Her next oldest sibling were twin brothers, 16 years her senior. When Glenna became a mother herself, she didn't speak much about her childhood, only sharing that she learned to cook at a very young age and would provide meals for all those on the farm she grew up on. Glenna moved to Dayton, Ohio, and sought work in a munitions factory, teaching ballroom dancing in the evenings. She found lodging at a boarding house. Her landlady happened to be the woman who was to become her mother-in-law. When her soon-to-be husband returned from the war, he stayed with his mother and there fell in love with the beautiful and lovely Glenna. They married and settled in Fairborn, just outside of Dayton, Ohio. They very much enjoyed the early years of their marriage and had five children, four daughters and a son. Glenna was a dedicated Democrat who was very active in the League of Women's Voters. Glenna raised her children with love and kindness. She wanted them to have every opportunity in life and exposed them to Broadway show tunes and theatre. Glenna would drive her children all over town, giving of herself selflessly to ensure they enjoyed any activity that they fancied. Their fourth child, Jane, will be telling her story today. Jane fondly remembers her riding lessons and learning to cook with the mother she so misses. Her mother also spent hours with Jane teaching her to dance. When Jane was in her early teens, her parents divorced. Her father remarried a wonderful woman. Jane says that he couldn't have chosen better. They had a child, and Jane loves this brother. And although he was very young when this tragedy took place, he has great empathy and shows immense kindness when they speak of her mother. Sadly, at only 24 years old, Jane's life, as well as her siblings, would change forever. It has been 40 years and the struggles continue. Jane says that she is here to tell the story of what happened to her mother because she doesn't want her mother to be forgotten. Jane wants to make sure everyone is aware that the criminal justice system can be capriciously indifferent to providing justice or even a chance at justice. This is the story of Glenna Krause's murder.
Tell me about your mother. What was your relationship like with your mother? Well, my mother was a very kind, generous person. She was private. I think she was I think she was kind of made to feel ashamed of her background coming from a poor family in Kentucky. So she didn't talk a lot about her family. But she tried to give us as kids exposure to as much as she could. She we had all the Broadway musical, the scores to Broadway musicals. We saw the movies, the musicals when they came out. She sent us to theater, just, you know, to expose us to theater. She tried to expose us to as much as she could. She taught us how to cook. She taught us how to dance. She was great. She loaded me up in the car every day and took me horses. I got interested in horses and she would load me up in the car and take me to the stable every day and come and pick me up. She also was very interested in um, Head Start, getting Head Start started in our town. Wow. So tell us a little bit how she got involved in that, if you know. Well, I think she was just interested in early childhood development and get, you know making sure kids had a good start, good education, foundation for their education. What was your relationship like with your father? Well, I was very close with my dad. He just passed away in 2016. He was a uh, doctor. He was one of three family-type doctors in our hometown. And so, you know, a lot of people knew him. He pretty much delivered all my friends. Oh. Yeah. That's so, <laughs> so, that's so a, cool. Yeah, yeah. He was a well-liked, well-known doctor in our town. Yeah, he was also the county coroner for like 30 five years or something, which was very interesting. Tell me about when you found out your mother was murdered or how you found out, and then you're going to explain the story of what happened, if that's okay with you, if you feel comfortable with that. Yes. Yeah, I do. On January 6, 1979, I was in my living room watching, having just finished a slideshow with my boyfriend and his brother of some pictures that his brother had taken. I think we had the television on in the background. I don't remember now, but the phone rang and this is before, you know, caller ID or anything like that. And I left the room and answered the phone and it was my father said, I have some very bad news. Uh, Your mother died tonight. And of course I, responded like, what do you mean? What do you mean by that? And he says, well, Phil, Patty's boyfriend, killed her. And I I don't really remember much after that other than I know that I kind of, my voice got loud and Dennis, my boyfriend, heard me and came and I think I dropped the phone and Dennis picked it up and talked to my dad. And That's how we learned. Jane was living in Arizona, across the country, hearing this devastating news. Patty is Jane's sister, and her boyfriend had just murdered their mother. What a horrible situation for all of them to be living through. Not only the murder of their mother, but they had to cope with who had killed her. She had, she met him in July 
of 78 and had come to visit me in Arizona at that time with my other sister, Sue. They were traveling together and they came and stayed with me. And she told me she met this guy named Phil, Phil Blake, and that I would like him because he was artistic, but that she knew he had done some bad things and you know, she knew that he had a bad side, but he was nice to her. And I thought, hmm, you know, you, you know, he's done some bad things. What's that all about? Well, we didn't get into too much detail. I learned later what kind of stuff he'd done. But she, um, you know, was excited about having a new relationship and everything. And as time went on, I started hearing things about Phil, you know, getting really mad at her and, and hitting her, slapping her, that kind of thing. And November, I learned that she had tried to break up with him and he was resisting that and she was afraid of him. And I don't know the sequence of events, but she had tried to break up with him and he had threatened her. And I think she had to get a restraining order. But I'm not sure that she ever really abided by it. I think she continued seeing and talking with him. I'm not sure. Jane writes that weeks before, in late November, as she sat in her living room watching TV with her boyfriend, she'd had this overwhelming feeling that something was wrong with her mother. A foreboding feeling. Her boyfriend urged her to call her mother. After some coaxing, she did, and her mother said, You know something is wrong, don't you? Then she told Jane that her younger sister's boyfriend had beaten her up pretty badly. Patty's boyfriend, Phil, kidnapped her from school <sighs> the other day, beat her, took her to her house, locked her in her house, beat her up with a gun, raped her, sodomized her, tore her house apart, on and on. And I knew, you know, I knew something was going on. Well, Patty apparently escaped from him when he had, when after he kidnapped her. She escaped and ran out into the street. And he came running out after her. And I guess when he couldn't find her, he turned the gun on himself and shot himself in the chest. She was the guy she met working at the Oregon Express, a bar in the Oregon District in Dayton. He was a dishwasher or something. Anyway, she, um, she'd been on again, off again with him for a long time. And I guess, you know, he kept promising he wouldn't beat her up anymore and she'd go back with him. She was in, the, she was in an abused woman's syndrome. I mean, she was, mm-hmm. you know... Anyway, so he's in the hospital, and Patty has been beat up. I guess she's getting, you know, she got beat up pretty badly. So I had planned to go to Ohio to visit my family over the holidays. You know, now learning all of this, I want to see my mom. And when I go home over that holiday period, I think I got there right before Christmas, and I was supposed to leave right after New Year's. But I ended up leaving two or three days early at the request of my boyfriend because things in Ohio had just gotten 
so weird and so out of hand with between Patty and Phil. She was continuing to talk with him even when he was in the hospital. And she was trying to conceal the fact that she was talking with him this whole week that I was there. And he was threatening to come where she worked and get her. And she'd call home from work and say, you know, Phil's threatening to come and get me. At one point during that week, I got in the car and I went down there and I got her and brought her home from work because we were afraid he was going to come drag her out of where she worked. He'd been known to do that. He did, he did all of, he did this to another little girl when she tried to break up with him. He had a long history of doing some pretty violent behavior. Anyway, so I stayed with my sister for a couple of nights and she continued talking with him on and off. She, he would call and she'd talk with him and he'd cry and I'd pick up the phone and say, you know, time to go to sleep, hang up. No, you don't need to be doing this. I was terrified. Anyway, my boyfriend, Dennis, said, you need to get out of there. You need to just come home. So I remember deciding to leave a few days early, and I felt bad about it. My mom didn't want me to leave. You know, she wanted me to stay. But I was too wigged out by everything that was going on. It was just too much. Well, you're 23 years old and unprepared and unequipped to deal with that. Let's face it. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. And my mom was so worried about Patty. She was just so, she was at her wit's end. In fact, she she told me, she goes, this is it. I'm not helping her anymore. I'm not bailing her out anymore. You know, she continues going back with this guy. So I got, I went back to Arizona and things continued that whole week. Patty was dating someone else and and still I don't know what you know the situation was with Phil but he was stalking her apparently and saw her in a car with another boyfriend that she had named Bob Nanofsky and started chasing them and somehow they they lost him and my sister called my mom and said, look, Phil's been, you know, chasing us around town. So, you know, be careful. Someone had seen Phil's car at my mother's apartment complex uh, an hour or two before all of this happened. And then again, my sister called my mom and said, you know, Phil is out there. He's, I I don't know exactly what the conversation was, but she said that Phil, Phil had seen her. And I guess Phil called my mom at some point and asked where Patty was. And my mom said that she had put put her on a plane. She wasn't even in town. And Phil said, I know you're lying. I've seen her. So he, that angered him that my mom lied to him. Patty and my mother got on the phone again at some point and the doorbell rang. There was a knock at the door and my mom said, hold on. And Patty, she put the phone down and Phil had come to the door and he killed her. Patty heard a scream and hung up the phone and immediately called the police. She also called a good friend of hers who was close by, and he rushed over to her mother's house. Patty's boyfriend had pushed his way into Glenna's home, picked up a sculpture, and beaten her to death. Jane does struggle with the fact that Patty knew her boyfriend had a troubled background, yet still chose to be with him. However, 
She also understands that Patty is in no way to blame for her mother's murder. Jane writes that her sister was caught in a sickening cycle of violence and domestic abuse with a man who had a history of abusing the women he claimed to love. Patty had a history of hooking up with violent men. Their mother spent the last three months of her life anguished and worried about Patty's safety. We got airplane tickets right away and flew out in the morning. I remember my roommate coming home and she had come home late after work. She was bartending and uh, came home with her boyfriend and we had to tell her what happened. Of course, she knew my mom. And we, I, had, I remember just not being able to stop crying. I just couldn't stop crying. Jane's father picked them up at the airport. Jane continued to cry all the way to her father's home. Her boyfriend at the time tried to be supportive. He was meeting her family for the first time under these appalling circumstances, during such a terrible crisis. He said the things that people say that should never be said. She's in a better place. It's God's will. Jane understands people are trying to make sense of something that doesn't make sense. They are trying to be comforting. But what you should really say is, I love you. I will stay with you and be here for you. Or a simple, I am sorry. They headed over to her father's home and they were welcomed by their stepmother, whom Jane feels incredible appreciation for. She opened their home to the five Krauss children and all of their significant others at the time. And of course, her own child was there amongst all these grieving young adults. This household was full of emotions and arguments, tears and sadness. Jane argued with her brother as he insisted on seeing his mother's body, but Jane believed her mother would have never wanted that. Glenna was beaten severely and the mortician had to prepare the body if there was to be a viewing. Jane wanted her mother to be left in peace. Jane wanted to respect what she believed to be her mother's wishes. However, everyone wants what they feel is important, and in the end, he did view her. Jane's mother, who had suffered so much at the end of her life. The preparations for the service began with no one knowing how to think or what to do. Jane can barely remember the memorial moving through the days in a fog. How did the police investigation go immediately? What happened with your sister's boyfriend? And how did that go? And did the family find that the police did a good job? Well, he, he took off after this happened and went to a friend's house in Cincinnati where he tried to say, he had been there all, all that evening. He tried to use that as an alibi. Well, the police found him the next morning. They were there when he woke up the next morning and they arrested him and brought him back to Dayton. Oh, wow. And at his friend's house, they found him. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Somehow they knew where he was. And they, the police, I, you know, they did an investigation. They took fingerprints. They, that they found a little blood in his car. They said that, I mean, 
it was just so obvious he did it. He had threatened to do it. He had, you know, threatened Patty several times and said, I'm going to kill you and your mother and that sort of thing. So we kind of let the police do what they needed to do. We assumed, you know, they got him. Jane writes that her family trusted that the judicial system would do the right thing when the trial started. Distressingly, disappointingly, and regrettably, the system fell deplorably short. Their family was told that the trial was between Blake and the state of Ohio, and that their involvement was unnecessary. It was clear they were of no consequence. Their father and stepmother were asked not to be there. They assumed the system would work, that it would convict an obvious murderer, do the right thing, and make him pay for what he did. Well, the trial started in March. We all wrote letters to the judge and, you know, in an effort to make clear, you know, what we knew happened and what how we felt and how we felt he should be sentenced to, you know, put away for a long time. And the trial, he, he maintained that he did not do anything, that he didn't do it. There, I'm not exactly sure what happened, but they ended up plea bargaining it down to negligent homicide. There was inconsistent testimony given throughout the trial. The other thing is, is that there's speculation that he was put in a cell with another guy who had, who was a serial killer, who had killed a bunch of little girls. And they put him in a cell with Phil, hoping that Phil would get information from the guy. So there's speculation that they had a deal with him. You know, you get information on this guy, Gall, who is actually, this fellow's name is Gall. He's up for parole in September of 2021. A serial killer who killed a bunch of little girls. So they put Phil in the cell with him, hoping that he could get information about the serial killer. And then you think sort of they gave him a deal because of that? I, I don't know that for a fact. I don't know that for a fact, but it is in the, there was a newspaper article about the whole thing written in July of that year. And that it cites that he may have given testimony against this guy, Gall. I didn't go to the court proceedings. First of all, I was thousands of miles away. And secondly, it was just so obvious who did it. I mean, there was, I, I couldn't have imagined in a hundred years that it would be pled down to negligent homicide and he would walk, which is exactly what happened. Negligent homicide is that you kill somebody through your negligence. In other words, you run a stop sign or you throw a banana peel on the ground and someone slips on it. He admitted to doing it. And they said, you will serve, your the time served is your punishment. And $1,000 thousand dollar fine and time served and And he walked out how long did he spend in prison he was in the county jail for six months jane writes that the transcripts of the trial show a line of questioning that insinuated that patty was somehow partly at fault for their mother's murder for repeatedly going back with him after he repeatedly beat her up 
victim blaming. Patty's boyfriend perceived their mother as a threat because she voiced her disapproval of him. Both the judge and the prosecutor said this. Her mother's efforts to protect her daughter proved fatal. Blake was fined $1,000 and sentenced to six months in jail. The outrage has burned through her veins ever since. When I read the transcripts of the trial, they say here that they're saying that they're going to reduce the charges to negligent homicide. We have discussed this matter with the family of the deceased, the deceased being Glenna Krause. We have also discussed it with the police personnel from Wayne Township. All concur in the statement that I'm about to make, and that is they recommend a plea of guilty to negligent homicide, which is a lesser included offense. So I don't know who they discussed this with. They didn't discuss it with me. Oh, my goodness. And and did you ever ask your father if, I mean, I guess your father would have sort of not even been, you know, like a family member to discuss it with. I don't know if they discussed with. it with him or not. I wasn't there. And frankly, they shouldn't have. It, it should have had nothing to do with him. He was divorced from your mother. So, right. so really, what say does he have? He has say over the children. So in this case, your mother wasn't remarried. It should have been simply the children. Yeah, I, and I don't know if that happened. I know I don't know if my brother was there. It's been so long ago, but he was. He would have been the really the person to discuss this with, I suppose, as the executor of her her estate. But I don't know if they discussed it with Patty. I don't know. But from what you've said about your brother, I don't think he would have agreed to six months in prison for this maniac. What was it in the coroner's report then that they said happened to your mother? Well, it was a bludgeoning. He picked up a sculpture that was a wooden sculpture that was by the front door and hit her with it a lot of times. Patty was struggling and continued making poor choices in the people that she dated. She alienated herself over the years from the entire family. Patty never speaks about how she feels about what happened. This was my younger sister, Patty. She won't talk about it. And I'm, I have a lot of unanswered questions. She was a victim too. I get it. Jane is fully aware that anyone can be dating a despicable person. Someone who chooses to murder However, there have been insensitive and hurtful choices made since then that caused the hurt within her. Jane and Patty have tried over the years to have a relationship without success. Glenna's son had terrible struggles after their mother's murder as well. Jane doesn't understand why he couldn't have relationships with the family, but he too estranged himself from everyone, and that is another thing that haunts her. The ripple effect ran rampant, as it often does after a family member is murdered. You know, my brother, right from the beginning, as soon as this happened, got very, very quiet and sullen. He had, he felt very strongly that it, as the, you know, the son, that he should get revenge somehow. And I think that obsessed him. Right. He got very, very angry. 
he collected guns. He got rabidly uh, right wing. I mean, he just was, he got just so angry. He took his life in October of 2016. He, but before that, I had not had any contact with him for years, years. He just was, he was just so angry. You couldn't even talk with him. And he, he just extricated himself from the family. He didn't, he didn't have contact with anyone really. My brother took a lot of his anger out on my dad for some reason. He felt, I think he felt my dad should have done more, but you know, I, I don't quite understand that. When they were called to the scene where he uh, shot himself, he had laid his will and, and some other personal things on the table in front of him. And in his will, there was my sister's name, my name, and Patty's name. And he put our phone numbers next to our names. And the detective called the first person on that list, which was Paula, and she, to tell her, you know, what had happened, and she contacted me. They now had to mourn another member of the family, two deaths, one self-inflicted and one homicide. Their brother had become estranged from them because of the horrific actions of the person that killed their mother. That murderer took someone's life when he killed Glenna Krause, but the effects continued to hurt her loved ones every day and resulted in so much strife and turmoil and sadness within the family. Jane has had her own struggles that she lives with on a daily basis. I wanted you to talk a little bit about the PTSD and how that's affected you and if you could help us understand a little bit more about it. Sure. Well, I think any traumatizing event has lasting effects on people, and some it affects people differently, uh, manifests itself, I'm sure, differently in different people. I would say that, you know, over the years I've received, I've got sought counseling because I have, you know, struggled with depression and uh, anger, feelings of anger. And, you know, that if you don't get the right kind of therapist, they can sometimes do more harm than good. But you think the way it manifested itself in me is anger and sadness. And I have probably catastrophic thinking as a result of that. I, I have a hard time not thinking the worst thing will happen. You know, if you you tell me you're going to be here at 2 o'clock and you're 20 minutes late, I go straight to the worst possible scenario. You know, you had a terrible accident or you've been killed somehow. So I have to, and I'm a, intellectually I'm aware of all that. It's tying it into the emotional into your emotional life. Do you have any tools that help you through those times that you could share? Oh, exercise. Yeah. Exercise, talking, talking it through. 
has probably been the best thing I could have done. I've 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 sat in several therapists' offices, and as I my story unfolds, I can just see the glazed over look on their face. Oh. You know, <laughs> it's like they can tell that they're just in too deep. <laughs> they don't have you know they they're not equipped to deal with something like that. I'm a different person. And I think just accepting that, you know, that was my life then, this is my life now. I've had to adjust to this new reality. This family was so failed by the criminal justice system. Miserably. Plea bargains are a way for cases to quickly move through the court system. There is no justice for the families in these cases. Not only is a family grieving an inexplicable loss when someone takes the life of their loved one, but then to have a reduced sentence because the people that are prosecuting choose that for you is inexcusable. But this story, how can this have happened? If indeed the murderer gave evidence to convict the serial killer he was sharing a cell with, then perhaps... Just perhaps, a family meeting could have been called to discuss with them the possibility of a reduced sentence. Reduced, not none. And only if they were all in agreement. The courts should not be allowed to do what they want with no regard for the loved ones. This man killed a woman, a mother. He admitted to it and walked away. It is astonishing, outrageous, unbelievable. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Kelly. I really, I really admire what you're doing, and I'm anxious to see how you develop and how it you know, progresses over time. I really appreciate that. I just want to tell a story. Good. And and I think you're a pretty good storyteller. Well, thank you. Hi. I appreciate that a lot, Jane. And you have a great uh, end to your day. Okay, you too. Okay, thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Be sure to listen next week as we continue this devastating story. I have interviews with other family members as well as one of the original jurors from the trial. Hey everyone, I just wanted to let you know that we now have a Patreon link that you can access in the episode show notes. You can contribute as little as $1 a month or send a one-time payment through our PayPal account, also in our show notes, or at morningthemurdered at gmail.com. These contributions allow us to continue producing a weekly episode helping families be able to tell their loved ones' stories. I want to thank you all so much for your support, and don't forget to join our Facebook group. I'm not quite sure how people move on after a tragedy. There are support groups online and face-to-face, and there are books and family and friends to lean on. But in reality, when someone loses a loved one to murder, they lose a piece of themselves.
that can never be returned. Memories are all that are left. So talk about your loved one and let the world know how important they will be to you forever. These memories become valuable treasures. No one will ever understand your pain, but surround yourself with those that can understand how important it is for you to share your story. I will now light a candle for the victim and their loved ones, ensuring their memory lives on and burns brightly. You are remembered. I want to take a moment and extend my most sincere and humble gratitude to each and every one of you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions, or if you would like your voice to be heard on Morning the Murdered and tell the story of your loved one, email me at morningthemurdered at gmail.com. That's M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G-T-H-E M-U-R-D-E-R-E-D at gmail.com Thank you to Dennis for editing this podcast. You are absolutely indispensable. Thank you so much. A huge shout out to Patrick for creating the original music that you hear. And the artwork for this podcast was created by Talia with support from Matt and Mick. Thanks so much, guys. <laughs>